This is Paul. Um, my video production's been down a little bit this week. Some of you might have noticed I've played a little bit of reruns. I don't know if that's behind uh, Vixen Dixon's Blue Peter conversation. I guess that's some long-running show in the UK. It's partly because I've been doing more writing on CRC Voices about the same-sex marriage debate in the Christian Reformed Church and its, in its impending split, and because I've been trying to put together a video to address it. Actually, I've been thinking about putting together a video to address this again for the last three, four months. I haven't been able to do it, basically because I haven't really settled on something. Now, part of what happened was that, well, Ready for Harvest put out a video on impending splits. And I'm really impressed by this, um, I forget his name, this guy's ability to summarize really complex denominational stuff and doctrinal stuff. I mean, that's, that's an entire world out there, but he does a really good job of it, and he does it quickly, much more quickly than I ever could. So he summarizes and sort of brings you up to speed on what's been happening in the Christian Reformed Church. Channel, we've talked about church splits from the United Methodist Church split to four new denominations and two new ones back in 2020. It's easy to look back and tell the stories of splits in the past, but now I'm going to go where I go less frequently into the world of speculation. Who's likely to split next? What denominations are showing signs of division? Number one, the Christian Reformed Church in North America. There are two large denominations in the United States that come from the Dutch Reformed Church. The Reformed Church in America experienced a split that is still somewhat ongoing as the Alliance of Reformed Churches launched in early 2022, taking at least 15% of the congregations of the RCA with them. Now, I've referenced this a little bit. Um, a former classmate of mine and two people that I've worked with actually have been leading that split. They, they split off a lot of the sort of big box evangelical churches that were a part of the Reformed Church of America. Part of why this happened was the Reformed Church of America has been dealing with this issue in an, uh, for a very long time. And the polity of the Reformed Church in America is a little bit different from the Christian Reformed Church in that ministers have their credentials held by the classes. And basically for a number of years, there have been some ordained clergy and same-sex relationships in some Eastern classes that, and some also some affirming churches that basically the denomination couldn't get at to depose them or discipline the churches by virtue of how the church was structured. And it came to a head. There were a number of uh, churches in the denomination, many of them uh, churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, that basically said to the Reformed Church of America, if you don't finally handle this, um, we're gone. And polity-wise, the church couldn't handle it, and so the church has been fracturing and fragmenting over the last year. The other denomination, the Christian Reformed Church in North America, has not split yet, but there are signs that there could be a split coming. In 1973, the Christian Reformed Church made a statement on sexuality which states that same-sex orientation is not considered sinful, but did state that same-sex sexual behavior is considered sinful. At Synod Now, I've got to nuance that because since then the conversation has shifted. The Presbyterian Church of America... The Christian Reformed Church didn't say that same-sex orientation wasn't the result of the fall or human brokenness. It just said that people who were experiencing same-sex attraction 
wouldn't necessarily be culpable for the experience or the temptation. That was really the distinction that was made. There's been obviously a lot of conversation and nuance since then, but I, I just wanted to be clear about that on this point because the conversation in the Presbyterian Church of America has, I think, in some ways stumbled over this point. 2022, they made the following official statement that Synod affirmed that unchastity in the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 108 encompasses adultery, premarital sex, extramarital sex, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex, all of which violate the Seventh Commandment. In so doing, Synod declares this affirmation an interpretation of a confession. Therefore, this interpretation has confessional status. In 2021, a human sexuality report was completed for the CRCNA. The 175-page document affirms the same position as before. At Synod 2022, a vote was taken on whether to recommend the report as a useful summary of biblical teaching, and this was done by a 131-45 to 45 vote with two abstentions. Now, the degree by which this passed was very significant. There was in the 90s a 25-year debate over women serving, 20-year debate over women serving in ecclesiastical office. And what happened was that Senate after Senate, things would go back and forth, votes would go back and forth. Many of the votes were close. Finally, in the mid-90s, the Christian Reformed Church decided to get this off of Senate's docket by saying, by allowing congregations to have a local option. Um, classes could seat women, elders, deacons, and pastors at classes if the classes voted to approve it. And then once more than 50% of the classes in the Christian Reformed Church had women seated, seated at their classes meetings, then classes could delegate women to synod. That was a bruising fight in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, many of those votes were close, and in the end, the, the position passed. And the position of the Christian Reformed Church remains the same. At the Senate, in fact, there was a something between a recognition and a celebration of women in ministry in the Christian Reformed Church 25 years since the change, the change officially came in, in terms of 1995. They did a study, half of Christian Reformed churches have a female deacon, a quarter of Christian Reformed churches have a woman or serving as elder or allow women to serve as elders, and only 15% of Christian Reformed churches have women's clergy. This local option in the Christian Reformed Church was never um, seen as, well, it was taken to get the issue off of Synod's table and to sort of take the focus off. It provoked a church split in the late 1990s, a number of churches left the denomination, probably totaling between 50 and 60,000 people, over this issue. And the, the issue has remained, um, in, in some ways, sort of a source of disease. Often, women who go to synod sometimes feel like they are second-class citizens because they know that there are some delegates that don't believe they should be there. And delegates from complementarian churches sometimes complain that they too feel like second-class citizens because it seems like the majority of the denomination has gone a different way, and especially when there was the um, desire to celebrate 25 years in ministry. Obviously, complementarian churches that stayed in the denomination did not wish to have that celebrated, but rather lamented or mourned. 
So even though the local option, now this gets very important in terms of the fight over same-sex marriage because the local option was the way to sort of move forward. And a lot of people who wanted women in to serve in ecclesiastical office saw that as a big victory. Over 25 years, it's also fair to say they have not realized all of the success that they had hoped for because at least half of the Christian reform, half of the churches in the denomination do not have women serving as deacon, elder, or minister. Three quarters of the denominational churches do not have women serving in the office of elder, and 85% of the churches in the denomination do not have women serving in as clergy. So even though the local option was expedient in terms of a political way to resolve the conflict in the denomination, it didn't really eliminate the conflict. The conflict still simmers. Okay, I want to be fair to both sides and, and sort of phrase it that way. In 2016, Classes Grand Rapids East produced a report on same-sex marriage. Part of what they said was, our study committee members came to the same-sex marriage issue from several perspectives. Some believe that marriage is ordained by God to be between one man and one woman. Others desire to see our LGBT sisters and brothers have the opportunity to experience committed marital relationships. Still others support some portions of each of the above perspectives. In 2020, one of the churches in the classes ordained a woman in a same-sex marriage as a deacon. At Synod 2022, the Christian Reformed Church instructed the congregation to rescind the decision and to nullify the deacon's term. The church refused to do so, and the church council unanimously voted to appeal the CRC's decision. Other churches in the CRC, like Sherman Street Church in Grand Rapids, are also LGBT-affirming. The CRC's official denominational university is Calvin University in Grand Rapids. Religion reporter Bob Smetana wrote in March 2022, The school sponsors a support group for gay students, gave an alumni award to an LGBTQ graduate, and last year saw a gay undergrad elected as student body president. But after a Calvin professor officiated a wedding last fall for an LGBTQ staffer at a campus-based research center, putting... I should note that that professor, I don't believe he, I don't believe he's ordained in the Christian Reformed Church. He was a sociology professor. Both employees in violation of school policy, school leaders tried to resolve the matter quietly. The Center for Social Research, part of the school since the 1970s, was allowed to spin off and the staffer was able to stay. On November 3, 2022, the Washington Post reported Christian college votes to keep faculty who dissent on sins of sex. Now, there's going to have to add some nuance to that. One of the videos that I made and never released was about a gravamen, which is, or gravamina, that's the plural, which is the way for someone to, there's two types of gravamen. One is an appeal to uh, change a confession and the other is a personal difficulty gravamen. Basically what Calvin College did was say that Calvin faculty can, um, they basically made a way for them to sign a personal difficulty gravamen. What a personal difficulty gravamen does is essentially say that the person who has to subscribe to the doctrines of the Christian Reformed Church can disagree with the doctrine of the Christian Reformed Church if they promise not to basically a politic against it. This has often happened in cases, let's say, of infant baptism. You might have someone in your church who has joined the Christian Reformed Church and perhaps they don't believe in infant baptism. 
the Christian Reformed Church's doctrinal statements all endorse infant baptism, or the Heidelberg Catechism does very specifically, um, you can still be an office bearer in the Christian Reformed Church if you don't subscribe to infant baptism by filing a gravamen that basically says you have an objection to it. But what that means is that you can't go around the denomination speaking against infant baptism. It means that you have a difference and these, these gravamen don't have to be public. Um, they, they, in the Christian Reformed Church, office bearers are supervised by their local council. And so you file that with your local council. You can still go to you can still go to synod or classis. You can operate normally as an office bearer, but what you can't do is basically politic against the standing of the the confessional standing of the church. And what happened at Calvin College was basically um, Calvin faculty who disagreed with this interpretation of the confession were allowed to basically file a gravamen. And now again, that's a two-edged thing. On one hand, they can continue to serve and subscribe to the confessions of the Christian Reformed Church. They just can't politic or act against it. And so when that sociology professor conducted that same-sex wedding, um, something that Christian Reformed ministers from a number of years ago have not been uh, permitted to conduct same-sex same -sex weddings, uh, when he did that, his, his contract, his next contract was not, he did not get another contract with the college. He wasn't a tenured professor. So that's, I think that's, everything in this report is accurate, but I thought there might be a little bit more nuance added to it to help just basically contextualize it and give more of the facts. Calvin University's Board of Trustees has allowed a group of faculty members to dissent from a clause in a confession of faith that regards sex outside of heterosexual marriage as sinful, enabling them to continue to work at the Christian school while also respecting their convictions. All of this to say, the Christian Reformed Church is divided on this issue, and time and time again, these kinds of divisions have led to North American denominations splitting. So the CRCNA is on my list to likely see some kind of splinter within the next decade. And if this isn't what splits them, there's at least one other thing on the table that could lead to a separation of sorts, which is the fact that currently Canada and the U.S. are both under one denomination, and some in the Christian Reformed Church that are in Canada would like to see it formally become a separate denomination. In early 2022, a decision was held on the future of the CRCNA in Canada, and some CRCNA members viewed this as the best way forward. Number two. Okay, so, and I was on the Synodical Committee that worked to resolve the um, Amer the United States-Canada division. Um, we did a lot of work on that, and I think that was quite resolved. That doesn't mean that there aren't substantive issues, especially cultural differences between the church in the United States and the church in Canada. I think culturally there's a lot of, there's a, there's a division between the nations and so actually the same-sex marriage question will impact by nationality. I, 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 won't, I won't say anything more than that. Now, I'm going to address a number of these issues in this video as I have on CRC Voices. CRC Voices is kind of the oldest social media. It's a listserv. And what happens on that listserv is people can write an email and it goes to everybody on the listserv. And I've been participating in CRC Voices for pretty much as long as I've been back in 
to North America. So for about 25 years, it's a small listserv. There's just maybe a couple of hundred people subscribe and just, a, you know, not more, you know, a couple of dozen who actually consistently post. But for me, CRC Voices has been one of the best places to talk denominational shop and denominational politics, partly because we do have people on both sides of almost every issue, but we have developed between us a lot of relational capital. And so we can speak, this is you know partly what I desire for Estuary, partly what I desire for the communities that I participate in, that we can have differences of opinion, but we can, in Vervakian terms, use dialogos. And I have benefited greatly from my conversations on CRC Voices over the years on issues like same-sex marriage and many of these other issues. And... I, my, the volume, if you think I put out a lot of videos, for years I put a lot of posts on CRC Voices about a whole bunch of issues. And since I started doing videos, I have posted less on CRC Voices, but there are times when I still do post a fair amount. And this has been one of those times. After Synod, one of the things that Synod did was basically appoint a committee of visitation that would visit the Neeland Avenue Church and Classis Grand Rapids East to basically carry Synod's message that Synod expects all of them to essentially cease and desist and come back to the position of the Christian Reformed Church on this issue. Um, I'll just read the, the following, the mandate given to this committee. Committee was, the committee has followed the mandate um, to meet with Neeland Avenue CRC to oversee its compliance to Synod's ruling. Neeland Avenue said, no, we will not comply. To meet with Classis Grand Rapids East to admonish them regarding their responsibility to uphold our shared denominational covenants and procedures as laid out in the church order and the covenant for office bearers. There, um, I hear tell, it hasn't happened yet, that Classies, classies can meet two or three times a year. Classes Grand Rapids East, I think, is going to have a January meeting. And it is expected that at the January meeting, they are going to send a formal document to Synod uh, asking that Synod rescind its decision. So in other words, I think this committee, this visitation committee, basically got a no answer from Neeland and a no answer from Classes Grand Rapids East. Report to Classis Grand Rapids East at the autumn meeting and make a pertinent rec recommendations for its deliberations and actions. If necessary, invite three other classes to assist the committee in dealing with the issues regarding Neeland Avenue CRC. These other classes would be in the Grand Rapids area. There's a significant concentration of Christian Reformed churches in the, in the Grand Rapids area. Report to Synod 2023 by way of the published agenda for Synod, its own actions and any actions classical actions taken and present its recommendations. And the, so generally speaking, there are classes meetings in the fall, often September, October. Sometimes there are winter classes meetings like January, and then there are classes meetings in the spring, February, March. And, and after the classes meetings in March, when classes there's a deadline in March by which anything that has to get into the Acts of Synod the following year have to go into. The um, And classes then will name delegates, elect delegates to go to Synod, four delegates from each classes. Um, 
So after all of that is done, an agenda comes out for Synod, and that's where that report will be. The members of the committee are Reverend Paul DeVries, pastor of Brookside CRC in Grand Rapids, Michigan, former chair of the Council of Delegates, also asked to chair the committee in loco. Now, I know some of these individuals to varying degrees. Some of them I know fairly well. Some of them I don't know at all. Um, I think everyone agreed that this was a good selection for the committee. Um, uh, Paul DeVries, I've known for a number of years. He was a classmate of mine in college and seminary. The Christian Reformed Church is a place like that, where actually Paul DeVries's father pastored the church that I now serve here. Paul DeVries, DeVries grew up in the house that I now live in. The Christian Reformed Church is like that. There are a lot of familial and personal connections around it. Paul DeVries has been a very successful pastor. He's been a very successful denominational leader. Um, he's a terrific guy. Um, he married a girl from Whitensville, a friend of my cousin's. So again, that's the way the Christian Reformed Church is. So Paul's a great guy. Couldn't have think, thought of a better guy to lead a committee like this. Uh, he pastors a church in the Grand Rapids area. Greg DeMay. Greg DeMay was, um, was a minister of worship at one of the church plants in the Sacramento area. So I got to know him then. He now pastors at the church that we did the Chicago event in last year. Um, a tremendous musician uh, gave, if you want to go back over Synod's deliberations, which are on YouTube, gave some really tremendous speeches on the Synod floor to this issue. William Koopmans, um, another very well-known pastor and leader in the Christian Reformed Church, has been instrumental in a variety of ecumenical settings. Um, a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge, a tremendous amount of knowledge about reformed polity and reformed practice, terrific member of a committee like this. Those are the three individuals that I know. I'd probably of the three know Paul and Greg certainly the most. Williams, I've, I've spoken with him a num number of times. We know who each other is. Um, I think, again, a tremendous pick for this committee. Uh, John Mundy, pastor of the African Community Fellowship Church in Kentwood, Michigan. I don't know. I don't know him. Joshua Vendrunen, a name I recognize, pastor of First CRC, Cutlerville, Michigan. All of these individuals, um, except for William Koopmans, Brant, Brantford, Ontario, I'm sure they wanted Canadian um, representation on this committee. Um, and Beverly Weeks, I don't know her, pastor of visitation at Blythefield CRC in Rockford, Michigan. That's also in the Grand Rapids area. And so a minister from Chicago, a minister from Ontario, the rest of the ministers from the Grand Rapids area. You had at least one woman on the committee, um, John Mundy. Potentially, he's Africa, pastor of African Community Fellowship Church, Kentwood, Michigan. So they obviously tried to get a degree of diversity on the committee, but they very much went for individuals, known ministers in the church who will be respected. I suspect that everybody on this list is in keeping in alignment with the denominational stance on this. Um, I think, I believe Greg DeMay is by virtue of his statements at Synod. Uh, I suspect Paul DeVries is. Paul has often been a moderate in the Christian Reformed Church on many of these issues. So William Koopmans, again, I think moderate to probably moderate to conservative on a number of these issues. So they met. Uh, we have zero indication that Classis Grand Rapids East is, in fact, going to get into alignment with Synod.
As noted in the video, Sherman Street and Eastern Avenue both have statements of affirmation on their websites. You can Google these churches and look over their websites if you wish. These are Classis Grand Rapids East is one of the most strategic classes in the Christian Reformed Church. Many people who teach at Calvin University, Calvin Theological Seminary, many people who work in denominational offices, sort of like Jerusalem for diaspora Jews, many people retire in Grand Rapids. This gets into some of the unique dynamics about Grand Rapids. During the Synod, um, there was a rally by people who wanted to not see Synod make the decisions they did. I thought that the decisions at this Synod were inevitable. The church has been getting more conservative on this issue for the last, last 50 years, not less. Some of those reasons I might get into this video, because some of these issues, I think, are given cause for the increasing division that we're seeing in the church in this issue. There's another group that has formed recently called the Abide Project that tend to be conservatives from young conservatives from the, the Midwest, um, not Grand Rapids East, but surrounding Grand Rapids and in that area. And so these are um, all one body is a group uh, located in Eastern Avenue Church, or at least they use Eastern, they're closely associated with Eastern Avenue Church. Um, you know, um, Keith Manis standing here is again, another classmate of mine. The Christian Reformed Church has a lot of ties within it. Um, and so when there are divisions and conflicts like these, they are almost, there's almost always a personal level to it. I originally made this PowerPoint thinking that maybe I would walk through all of my arguments in terms of a PowerPoint. I just wound up spending, I, I maybe have two, two to three hours a day to devote to this kind of thing. And I found this was eating up two or three hours on multiple days. And I thought, I don't know if this is the best way to go about making a video. The Christian Reformed Church peaked in terms of its official membership, slightly over 310,000 in the early 90s. And it was 1995. You can see the decline happening. Um, a lot of that, or some of that, was obviously the 60,000 members or so lost in the departure, the split in the early 90s in the Christian Reformed Church over women in office issues, also over Genesis science issues. A lot of those issues had sort of been boiling. In terms of the big picture of the Christian Reformed Church, it's been a question of assimilation. The Christian Reformed Church was very much an immigrant group. Here's a family gathering from my family. My father's in this picture. Uh, my grand, one of my grand, my mother's father took the picture. My other grandfather is in this picture. Both of my grandmothers are in this picture. My mother's in this picture, aunt and uncle. And then Christian Reformed Church leaving the Second World War in many ways was fairly ethnically homogeneous Dutch immigrant church. After the Second World War, along with many in the baby boomers, the church sort of rose and, um, and spread its wings in North America. It left areas of Dutch immigration, 
North Jersey, West Michigan, Chicago, Iowa, um, and a bunch of other regions. And Calvin College was very much a key point in the CRC circulatory system. Here's a picture from the 60s. Uh, my father's in this picture too. This was likely a swim team, which were Christian Reformed young people from around the denomination could do a little summer mission trip and go to a place that they weren't from and go have a new mission experience and do like vacation Bible school, these kinds of things. And of course, at Northside Chapel, which was where my father was working, give some of these often um, young Dutch teenagers and college students a chance to get to know what in the church that I was that I was raised in was, you know, growing African American presence within the Christian Reformed Church to get to know each other, to trade stories, to and. So when I talk about the circulatory of the Christian Reformed Church, the institutions in the Christian Reformed Church, predominantly something like Calvin College, Calvin University. My grandfather went to, it was sort of a prep school and then theological seminary. My grandmother didn't go. She, like many her age, my other three grandparents, their education stopped at eighth grade. Although all of them were lifelong learners and they continued to read and grow and um in the church. My grandmother, in fact, she, she went to basically secretarial school. And then my grandmother had a, a column, a regular column in the banner, which was then the weekly magazine of the Christian Reformed Church. And the title of the column was Women's World. And she would write on a whole variety of topics. My grandmother was a very, a very gifted woman. But Calvin College was where you'd go to find a Christian Reformed spouse. There are other colleges associated with the Christian Reformed Church, but Calvin College is owned by the Christian Reformed Church, as is Calvin Seminary, and so they have a rather unique status. And there was very much a circulatory system within the Christian Reformed Church where Calvin College, it's another one of its emphases before it became a liberal arts school, was to um, prepare Christian school teachers because there are Christian schools all around the denomination. And growing up, I would remember that my aunts were always interested in the new school teachers that would come to the Whitensville Christian School because they had sons and they very much wanted to see their sons marry within the Christian Reformed Church and having Christian Reformed youth now in their 20s go out and be ministers, go out and be Christian school teachers, you married within the Christian Reformed Church. Every now and then someone would have a riskier marriage and marry someone from the RCA, the Reformed Church of America, that had the same denom that had the same doctrinal statements. But that's how together and tight-knit the Christian Reformed Church was. It very much had a circulatory system that um, within which you would live in the Christian Reformed Church. The Christian Reformed Church at this point was now growing into world-class cities, or world-class cities were sort of growing out to them. After the Second World War, the Christian Reformed Church really sent um, a lot of Dutch immigrants went to Canada. Many of them would join the Christian Reformed Church. The Reformed Church of America didn't have much presence in Canada. So much of the Canadian church comes after the Second World War, also in California. And it was after the Second World War that Dutch immigrants would come to Canada and California. 
and they often would come over and they'd start working in dairies and then they would have their own dairies and in Southern California, for example, you had a significant community in Bellflower, Artesia, they would sell their dairies as the, as, as the city moved out and then they bought in Chino, Ontario, and now that has been, um, that has been urbanizing as well. And so that's, but, but again, the Christian Reformed Church is a very close-knit community and people would tend to stay within it. Also tended to be a fairly conservative community. Most Christian Reformed people would vote Republican um, and vote conservative. And now my memories only go back to now the 60s in this, but that tended to be how the Christian Reformed Church would, would go. Now, urban CRCs tended to be a little bit more progressive as they adapted to the faster-changing urban world. And this is where you sort of get into the positive, neutral, negative adaptations. The liberationist movements, the, the, the um, African-American, um, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, these were... You know, these were all part of often urban CRCs. Many of these urban churches were diaspora churches in that these were people after the Second World War. They were members of the Christian Reformed Church. They got a job in a big city in maybe Southern California, maybe this, the, the Bay Area, maybe Chicago, uh, Denver, other cities in the United States. And basically Christian Reformed home missions would seek to plant Christian Reformed churches in cities where Christian Reformed people would go. In other words, the Christian Reformed churches followed the diaspora and tended to plant there. And but of course now, in many places, then you would many for the most part Christian Reformed churches sort of came out of agricultural places, but then the diaspora churches would start in urban areas, and that's where you'd begin to get the urban-rural split in the Christian Reformed Church. And that split is significant for what's happening now in the denomination. I've been reading Paul Johnson's book on a history of the Jews, really finding it a helpful and fascinating work. Can't wait to hear what some of my Jewish friends think of the work once they start seeing this pop up in my videos. Part of what's happening in the Christian Reformed Church is that tribal elites have gone out into the world. Now, what happens with a tribal elite? Well, you have institutions in your little sub-community and you tend to send the brightest and the best to lead your community. This very much happened in the Christian Reformed Church. The brightest and the best you would send to Calvin College and you'd send to Calvin Seminary and you'd hope that the men would become, um, the men would become ministers and the women would become Christian school teachers. And this is very much the pattern in the Christian Reformed Church. Now, Talked about this in, um, I'll, I'll skip some of the Bible stuff there. The tensions between, so part of what you had in, in the biblical realm is that you had accommodationists and, um, and rigorists, let's call them, or absolutists. And those are the language that Paul Johnson uses. And you tended to see this in the Christian Reformed Church as well. Those who would take professional jobs in world-class cities in North America increasingly began to reflect the views of what was happening in those cities. And so what you had, for example, in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, is those racial reconciliation themes, those 
liberationist themes, let's say, that are in the women's movement would tend to come into the Christian Reformed Church via churches, diaspora churches that were growing and thriving, San Francisco Bay Area, Southern California. They would still be more conservative than the general population, but these themes would tend to come into the church. And then as the churches would suburbanize, those themes would come in as well. Part of my thesis is that in the 20th century, the CRC planted and had many of these churches in places like Sacramento, Bay Area, Palo Alto, San Jose, um, the greater Los Angeles area, Bellflower, Artesia, um, and then suburban Chicago. Many of these places, churches flourished. These churches have been in very steep decline since really the 1980s. I'm not going to get into all the sub-things. The CRC had some success in the broader world, and Alvin Plantinga, of course, is a name that some of you might recognize. Um, Nick Waltersdorf, another someone who made a name in the realm of philosophy. Uh, for a while, Alvin Plantinga, Nick Waltersdorf, and Richard Mao all held positions in the Calvin philosophy department. Of course, Richard Mao went on to become the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, George Marsden who's the other person in the picture here, whose works I, I reference often. He was faculty at Calvin College. CRC and Calvin College very much was part of sort of the neo-evangelical movement, and they brought a lot of what they had from Kuiper and Bovink and brought that into the space, had a degree of influence in, in that space, in the neo-evangelical movements. That whole... There's been radical transformation in the 21st century in the space of neo-evangelicalism. We saw that with Mark Galley in his, um, his departure. We see that with all of the splits. And this is where we get into the winsome wars, positive, negative, neutral questions, which I'll get into when I start doing some of this reading. And the, this, is, this is me in my high school gown. Um, the world was changing in the 1980s. Hey, look at all the hair I had. Um, look at all that beautiful, look at all that beautiful hair. It's gone, it's gone. Um, in the 60s and 70s, North Jersey had a thriving colony of CRC churches. That was, that was fairly historic because obviously the Reformed Church of America, the Dutch had been in that New York area for a long time and the Christian Reformed Church came in there with the immigrants from the end of the 19th century and really inhabited that area. Um, there were many Christian Reformed churches. There was a thriving Christian school movement. In the my graduating class was, I think, one of the one of the first where a good number of us were essentially in the 1990s priced out of the New York metropolitan area. Many in the new many in the New Jersey colony in the CRC were blue collar workers. And what happened was that New York sort of continued to spread. Bergen County became essentially a bedroom community of New York City. It always had been, but that grew. Housing prices really went through the roof in New Jersey, places like Bergen County, not in places like Patterson where I lived, but Dutch CRC people, CRC people in the 1960s had basically moved out of Patterson and Passaic and Clifton and moved into North Halden and Wyckoff and Midland Park and more of the surrounding suburbs. Some CRC um, 
people had had dairies in those areas and like Southern California as the church moved out, as the place basically continued to develop as a suburb, housing prices went up, dairy price, dairies went away. Those who wanted to still do dairy work moved to upstate New York or out to Pennsylvania. Um, and, and some of those places and new Christian Reformed churches would be planted in those areas as well. People like me went to Calvin College, found someone to marry. I married someone who didn't grow up in the Christian Reformed Church. Increasingly in Calvin College, what happened in a lot of these Christian schools was that as numbers, as the baby boom ended, as population in the Christian Reformed Church aged and declined, many of the Christian schools and institutions in the Christian Reformed Church continued to survive by attracting other conservative evangelicals into their schools. Most of these people don't go on and join a Christian Reformed Church. This has happened all over the denomination. Um, Eastern Christian is by no means the same institution that I went to. It serves a very different population. Whitensville Christian School is far larger than when my cousins my age went to it. It's now, as in many places, sort of a private Christian school that not only caters to the children of the Christian Reformed Church, but they're joined by Roman Catholics, other Protestants, who want an alternative to public education. And back when I went, booster clubs in the church were very important to make sure that regardless of, excuse me, regardless of financial situation, children from the church could go to the Christian school. I'm not sure that system works like it did when in the 1960s and 70s, Christian, private Christian education is expensive. And so basically what that's meant is that now in the Christian reform circulatory system, you have a lot more conservative evangelicals. You've got more Roman Catholics. You've got more people who have money and let's say have the means to send their kids to a private school instead of sending them to the free public education here in North America. By the early 1990s, when I graduated from seminary, so, so you can see my father, when he first left, here he is, and um, here he's there, he's there, you know, nice clerical collar, nice tie for a family gathering. Um... Uh, now me, you know, he's aged, and my father then was younger than I am today, and you know, the rest of the family. Um, and so it was clear by the early 1990s that the population of Christian Reformed churches in North Jersey, I was coming back to North Jersey to do deputation from my mission work, and I could see the changes that 10 to 15 years had wrought in the area. In fact, it's kind of crazy when I think about it now. Part of what I what I made is a presentation there about basically the freefall of their community. Now this gets into the question about same-sex marriage because it was these world-class cities in North America that a lot of the now CRC progressives were hardly progressive in the rest of the culture but where people who would be, say, more in line with where the overall culture was going, those would be the votes at Synod. Those votes are gone. Many of those churches are closed in those areas. Christian Reformed churches that are, for the most part, there are always exceptions, that are thriving today 
tend to be churches in agricultural and rural areas. Many of the churches in urban areas have, in order to try to have some institutional continuity, very much reached out to Hispanic, Asian. Today, 10% of the Christian Reformed Church comes from Korean ancestry. These are very conservative churches. Hispanic um, evangelicals, often very conservative. African-American evangelicals, often very conservative, even if they tend to vote Democratic. And so what has happened is that the Christian Reformed Church has gotten more and more conservative on many of these issues. The one area that this hasn't happened is Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Grand Rapids East is the cluster. Grand Rapids is one of the only urban areas of the Christian Reformed Church that in many ways has continued to thrive, but in many ways it continues to thrive sort of at the expense of the rest of the ecosystem. The circulatory system also doesn't work. In the 1960s and 70s, what then was Sacramento Christian Reformed Church thrived because it would continue to pick up Calvin College students who would relocate to Sacramento and get jobs, or students who were from the ag areas of, let's say, Ripon, California, south of here, they would move to Sacramento and get jobs, and they would join the Christian Reformed Church because they were loyal Christian Reformed people. Now many who leave a place like Calvin College are all over the map. Um, some of them are basically in the process of evangelical deconstructing, and one of the things that has also happened in Sacramento, for example, is we've, as this congregation aged, we planted churches of younger people. Many of those people, hardly any of them, will come through the circulatory system anymore, but they'll probably go to a church plant where there are more younger people. And, you know, part of that is by, de by design, because we'd like to continue to give Christian Reformed people a place to go. But for the most part, none of us in this cluster expect to get people from this old Christian Reformed circulatory system because it's basically broken down. So if you want to read all of these, um, these are my posts. I'm not write, reading anybody else's posts, not because there aren't great posts, but because I don't have permission to do so. And CRC Voices, it isn't, isn't a closed group. Anyone can join. But um, it, it, the, we have a policy that basically you can't repost what someone else writes into the forum without their permission, because we want to keep the conversation in the room, the conversation in the room. Again, we, re we regularly remind people in CRC Voices that, you know, anybody can read this and people can tell tales out of school. But so this is this is just stuff that I've written. A lot of a lot of individuals. So since Senate made his decision, there's been a lot of people who are upset by that decision um, because they thought that I think there was a lot of expectation that the same-sex marriage conversation was going to go in the way that the women in office conversation went. Dan Winarski, uh, Grand Rapids has a significant Polish population as well, and the Polish population tended to be Roman Catholic on the north side of town, and the Hollanders uh, settled on the south side of town, and so that's where you tend to get the Dutch names. But Dan Winarski is on CRC Voices, and he wrote a piece for the CRC Network, which is sort of a blogging thing that the CRC Network devised. He wrote this piece in, in November 13, 2018, about a meeting of all one 
um, All One Body, which is a group in Grand Rapids that seeks um, LGBT uh, full inclusion in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, and this, he went, he went to the meeting, even though he wasn't in line with what people wanted. On Thursday evening, November 8, I attended an event at Sherman Street Christian Reformed Church. You can see that's one of the Christian Reformed Churches mentioned in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The event was hosted by All One Body. All One Body is an organized, highly motivated group of CRC members, pastors, office bearers, whose stated goal is to transform the CRC into a denomination that fully accepts and celebrates the values of the LGBTQ plus movement. All One Body wants the CRC to normalize and celebrate homosexual activity, bisexual activity, transgender identity, and a fully inclusive environment. And he talks about how the meeting got started, some of the speakers at the meeting, um, and then they talked strategy. One of the speakers made an assertion that I'm disappointed um, to say I agree with. He stated that the current crop of young people in society at large and the CRC in general are completely on board with the idea that homosexual behavior is something to celebrate. Now, part of what goes on here is, again, remember, Grand Rapids is being able to maintain a fuller cultural ecosystem than many churches in the rest of the country because Grand Rapids is one significant urban area that is not in institutional freefall like San Francisco Bay Area, Southern California, North Jersey, and I mean freefall over the last 20, 30 years, um, ongoing decline. Uh, let me see where I can pick this up. Basically, the, the, the strategy was to, was to share personal stories, um, to not debate the Bible. And then they settled on what they called the judicial strategy. The panel members recognized that the legislative approach of sending an overture to Senate was not likely to turn the CRC into an all-inclusive ally of LGBTQ plus promoters. Part of my thesis is that many people in Grand Rapids are very unaware of the Christian Reformed Church in the rest of the country. They tend to be working from a lot of stereotypes and the, the reality is far more complex. They also exhibit, exhibit, exhibited pessimism that the 2021 Synodical Report on Human Sexuality will move the CRC closer to their desired outcome. Yeah, quite the opposite. Because of this, the panel revealed their preference for a strategy using the judicial ruling similar to the way that the secular activists won their case in the United States Supreme Court with um, o Obergefell. All One Body's plan to transform the CRC will proceed as follows. They will identify a current CRC pastor who is sympathetic to their cause, who is willing to perform a homosexual wedding ceremony, or take another route. They find a CRC congregation that is willing to elect an elder or deacon who is openly and proudly living in a homosexual partnership. Inevitably, this will cause a firestorm of protest in the CRC, complaints that will be filed, debate will ensue, the banner will publish articles both for or against, the great brouhaha will eventually make its way to synod, and the hope on the part of all one body is that synodical delegates will sell it, will embrace the path of least resistance and rule in favor of the pastor of the church or the office bearer. In other words, it was making a bet that synod wouldn't discipline. And this calculation, this wager, I think, was based on the fact that I would often joke about Grand Rapids that there's so much CRC gravity in Grand Rapids, it sort of becomes a black hole and even light can't escape. 
the culture in the Christian Reformed Church in Grand Rapids is part of an establishment. And they very, they very, more are, they very well are deeply committed to CRC institutions. But their calibration about the church overall is off. And that came to the fore very clearly at Synod. CRC uh, Synod might decide, as has been done with other controversial issues, that the LGBTQ plus question is a matter for each local church council to decide. Remember, that was the path from women in office. Or, if the personal story of the individual involved is especially powerful, Synod may embrace empathy as the path towards inclusion. Perhaps a desire to prove the CRC's relevancy credentials will convince Synod to get with the times. This was the assumption that this would work. Um, I think many of us who are not in Grand Rapids knew that the HSR was indeed going to pass, and the question was not whether there would be some sort of discipline, but how hard. And in fact, even I, who have been watching the denomination quite closely for a long a number of years, I didn't realize just how hard. Um, it was dramatic, but after Synod sort of putting the pieces together, I think the picture is quite clear. Whatever reasoning Synod uses, the panel um, man members representing all one body were in agreement, and the audience was too, that the judicial plan presented their best path to victory. I would say that in the, there was the mood of the room was cautiously optimistic, and that such a plan will eventually succeed in turning the CRC into the UCC. Now, I never believed this. For a long time on my blog and on this channel, I have stated, I don't believe the Christian Reformed Church is ever going to become an affirming denomination. Because all of the movement of the denomination has been in the other direction for the last 50 years. Whether the Christian Reformed Church itself will survive another 50 years, that's a whole nother story. Back to my post. I completely understand that most people find synodical plotting to be dull and inscrutable, but all of the signs have been there for a long time. 2016 should have been a shot across the bow. In 2016, another report from yet another request for pastoral advice came to Synod, pastoral advice with respect to this issue. Conservatives wanted to make a stand, and what came out of it was the Human Sexuality Report Study Committee and the decision that all the members be committed to the established denominational position. That was an unprecedented move for a study committee. It took a number of us by surprise, but we've had six years to let it sink in. This was passed, of course, by the full synod. I knew going into this synod that the human sexuality port would be ratified. I was less sure that the Heidelberg Catechism recommendation would also go through. And I think many of us were very surprised at just at the margins by which both went through almost two to one in some of these votes. The election of officers done for the first time via Zoom before Senate was abundantly clear that a group had a plan and its vote and had the votes to carry it off. A pastor from Calvin CRC in Grand Rapids East would have been the heir apparent to the establishment narrative um, but she lost, that's a typo, to a deacon from Alameda who was a sweet woman but absolutely not a player in denominational politics. The moment um, that was Larry Lauder's speech at Synod was so instructive on so many levels. Now, I took that speech, and you can find it on the Vanderclips channel. 
he basically says that he went to synod thinking that he's the chairman of the council from Neeland Avenue. Basically, he could talk to delegates and just convince them that this was the right path. He said, basically, I had lovely conversations with all sorts of people, but the cake was baked. Minds were made up. No votes were changed. You could have taken this vote at the beginning of Synod, and it would probably have been exactly the same. And he was exactly right. He learned that at Synod. He went to Synod expecting, as was clear, um, as was clear, those who engineered the creation and 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 promotion of the Hesed project. That was a video project that some individuals put together and wanted to get the board of trustees to instruct that all members of Synod must basically sit there and do the Hesed project to hear all of these stories. And the hope was that if members of the Christian Reformed Church would see these nice LGBT young people talking about their pain, then votes would be swayed. The board of trustees did not approve this as basically Synod preparation. And a number of people in the CRC establishment are still a little salty about this. If the CRC churches think they can write a lot of statements um, that will move votes, I think they will discover the same thing that Larry Louder did. The truth is, again, that the CRC outside of West Michigan has been changing dramatically over the last few decades in ways that aren't very apparent to people in Western Michigan. The old institutional circulatory system that has had young people raised in the diaspora, gathering like turtles at Calvin for mating and then returning to the sea is nearly gone. As I noted, the few Calvin grads that bother finding me come in some ways pre-wired for their post-evangelical deconstruction. Most are already formed by the culture, expectations set on all sorts of narratives, all sorts of issues like LGBTQ and climate change. Trump was like a kiln that baked in the narratives. The only kinds of churches worth thinking of, um, the only kind of churches for them worth thinking about are already up to spec on the inclusion and affirmation, but in all likelihood, most aren't going to bother attending a mainline church either. Their confessional commitments are non-ecclesiastical. They can rest in a state like California, where a woman's right to choose is not up for debate, where the new sexual and gender dogmas are well set in place and defended by law, where where there might be a chance of seeing um, reparations into law, even, Cali even though California wasn't a slave state. CRC conservatives increasingly have developed their own separate circulatory system. DOR is the alternative organ. Many who grew up in conservative CRC enclaves already, even in the deep blue states like California, I'd say especially, this is where the positive-negative world really starts to come into play. They know how to live as a minority in a broader progressive culture. They will have their favorite authors, positions, etc., and, and are ready to be loyal opposition if the CRC establishment allows. Increasingly, they hold the power everywhere but Grand Rapids. Uh, but Grand Rapids is not entirely clear. Um, they, re they really are terribly interested in capturing the reins of power. In other words, it would be very easy for many to sort of set up an alternative CRC at this point, partly because all of the information technology makes creating a new denomination quite a simple thing, as some of my classmates have done with the ARC splitting off of the Reformed Church of America. They dream of becoming something more like Acts 29 or the Gospel Coalition, 
Why take over CRC institutions when the truth is that the last three decades have shown that the evangelical free market system is more nimble and offers more consumer choices? None of this makes life any easier for me. And I share some things that, that, happened, um, that happened at church. Um, these, these issues and tensions are very real. And um, it's going to be very hard for Christian Reformed churches to try to do evangelism in the ways that they used to. Part of the irony in this is that um, as I watch this drama in my church unfold, something that I've seen many times, I ponder the denominational dynamics. If Livingstones had a statement on their website like Sherman Street or Eastern Avenue, these guests would perhaps feel a little bit more comfortable. Oh, you're an affirming church. Oh, you're that kind of church. What they probably wouldn't do is ever join. For all the drama about the positive, neutral, and negative worlds, the primary fact about most of our churches for many people is that the church is simply unnecessary. A lot of polite enfoldment strategies for churches are about being attractive to shoppers. Shoppers are assumed to be people who have reached a bar of public accessibility and now just want to have something um, to maybe help give their children some virtue education or something like that. That's deeply a positive world missional strategy. And in a place like California, while you might get a hit um, on these kind of things, the numbers are against you. You might pick up a shopper from time to time, but truth be told, your, your best way of growing is to do hard, basic work of rescue among the people. In other words, work the meaning crisis. Work AA. Work people whose their lives have fallen out the bottom and they need rescue, not just some nice church to go to on Sunday. Their lives are... Um, their lives are not together. The long, patient work might not even end with them sticking to your church. The way most older CRCs hope to turn around their long decay is a positive world strategy. Part of this means that they tend to grow by enfolding boomers. I've been enfolding boomers at Livingstones for 25 years. Part of the reason that Livingstones is so elderly right now is because we've gotten so good at that generation. Um, we've been very successful at enfolding older people. And, well, boomers are getting old and dying. They're in some ways similar to the different culture of the, the visitors that came this Sunday in the trip that I, in the, in the story that I told. What struck me from looking at the website of Grand Rapids East Churches is that only Neilan tripped the wire. Sherman Street and Eastern Avenue aren't brimming with gay deacons and elders. Grand Rapids East Churches are thinking about their kids and grandkids. I get that. They want them to, um, they want there to be a chance that those kids and grandkids will stay in church. And that's why Grand Rapids East churches are not going to change their position. Because they are looking at the younger generation. They're saying, if we, unless we take an affirming position, our children will not come to our church because of the position. I can understand that. And that's why for them, there's going to be a split. Because the broader denomination is not going to change their stand, and Grand Rapids East is not going to change their stand. They can't. There's something, um, the main line has been, do oh, um, uh, the, 
They want to be a play. They want to have a chance that those kids and grandkids will stay in church. I really can't blame them for seeing this. Um, uh, for seeing this as fairly simple and reasonable accommod seeing this as a fairly simple and reasonable accommodation um, to allow that keeping the kids to happen. It seems to offer them a chance. When you need to make the trans. Um, when you need to make the translate the transition from the established CRC position to this new strategy, you tend to lift off the you tend to lift off the shelf language that has been quite familiar to all of us. The main line has been doing this for years, but of course, the main line also faces the real decline and in many ways worse. That is the real reason for the visitors that I that I wrote about. If it intersects with the positive, neutral, negative world because you feel like your world is negative, the amount of need to feel towards church rises. There is something to the positive, neutral, negative world schema, but the, but the question of necessity is far more vital. Vital churches are built on people who need them. This trickles through the system. Um, and, and this has been true for decades now. If you need rescue, the CRC position on same-sex marriage might be difficult, but it probably won't be an obstacle. If, however, you don't need the church, nothing's going to happen. These different worlds, different motivations, different contexts have been building in the CRC for a long time. The table is set. Neither side can or will back down. If you're asking Grand Rapids East to choose against their kids, it's not going to happen. If you're asking conservative diaspora churches to give up their faith as it's been constructed, that's not going to happen. What is going to happen is a separation. Now, some other people, um, I respond to um, a, a variety of other things there. I post the, the video that I made a commentary on. The CRC needs to think about what to do next. CRCs that are determined to pursue the inclusion model need to face some inconvenient truths. Number one, the moderates are with the conservatives on holding the line on same-sex marriage today. No local option. The votes aren't there. and The votes aren't going to be there. As long as inclusivists keep militating for this, they pursue a losing strategy that will get them tossed out of the denomination within a few years. I don't think the moderates will tolerate overturning women in church office in the near future. While the inclusionists seem, uh, while the inclusionists, it seems to be only the uh, while inclusionists only seem to be beginning to be aware of point number one, the conservatives already know it. They're not making a move on women in church office at this moment because they know they would lose, and they don't want to lose this this fight over same-sex marriage. The conservatives have a winning course moving forward, at least in the short term. The inclusionists don't. What should they do? What they are doing now isn't working. It's only helping them lose more. My advice, number one, carve out the ecclesiastical space that they want and need. I think that going RCA at this point would probably add more noise to signal. The RCA has its own drama. Leave them to it. Figure out how to collaborate with CRC institutions moving forward. Look to develop new working agreements with CRC institutions that CRC moderates want too. In reality, CRC moderates don't want to split. A split is inevitable. Find a way to split that basically CRC moderates can live with and CRC conservatives can live with. 
CRC moderates don't want separation, but they won't tolerate the chaos of a local option either. CRC inclusionists need to find out how to carve out their own local option, which isn't a CRC local option, while creating new relationships with CRC institutions. Grand Rapids East, if it wants to show leadership, should engineer this split. It would do the denomination a favor. It would, um, it would become the Minn Kota. That's a conservative classist that has sort of become the, a leader of various conservative movements in the denomination. It would become the Minn Kota of the left in some ways. Once the separation is official, there will be energy and motivation in the CRC establishment to find new working relationships in similar ways of what of like it sought with the RCA in 2005 um, before the RCA's present disintegration. If Grand Rapids East wants to lead, they should do so, not by trying to convince CRC moderates to affirm, but to make a path for the affirming CRCs in the U.S. and Canada. Looking long-term, if Grand Rapids East inclusionists are right about their path, um, they'll probably ba be back in the CRC if it exists 20 years from now. If they are wrong, they will either be gone or back in a conservative CRC a generation from now, if the CRC consists. So stop trying, so stop, it's the time to stop grieving and start building. And then this next post that I wrote. The Grand Rapids East is the establishment, which is the rest of, which the rest of the denomination has known all along. The establishment, especially in an egalitarian culture like ours, is usually in a bit of denial publicly, but it, that denial can no longer be afforded. It is precisely the way that Grand Rapids East is the establishment that makes this plan visit, that makes this plan viable. Grand Rapids East has so much institutional memory and network that the connections back to the CRC from the new entity would be possible. When the URC left, they wanted nothing to do with the establishment, but they but there continues to be all sorts of quiet connections at the United Reformed Church in the United States, very different from the United Reformed Church in the UK. Um, there are a lot of connections between URC and CRC churches on the ground. It might be easy to blame the conservatives for this crisis, but the truth is that the establishment has been losing touch with their base. And much like the elites versus populist narratives, those who feel themselves on the outside feel scorn, mockery, and condescension. It is this dynamic that brought Trump to power rather than um, Clinton or Romney, both of whom expressed um, the 40, you know, the 47 percent basket of deplorables, et cetera, et cetera. This is a problem with elites. They begin to um, no longer love those who have been voting them up the hierarchy. Uh, lost my place. If the women in, um, in the women in church office fight, the establishment's pretty. The establishment pretty much thought and only quietly dared to say good riddance to the URC. If that continues to be felt by sending out ad campaigns that say evolve, they'll continue to get the same response. As I noted before, the conservatives have already developed their alternative networks and alternative elites, and they aren't necessarily CRC. The establishment doesn't want to lose their institutions. I get that. What they aren't seeing very easily is that in many ways they already have lost them. While Christian schools all around the U.S. long ago pivoted to become institutions of choice to conservative evangelicals and even Roman Catholics, the establishment all the way back to Jerry Dykstra, who is a former executive director, another classmate of mine, 
said they wanted to be for the CRC, but many voted with their feet. Um, Calvin Theological Seminary stays afloat partially because of women and overseas students. Calvin University is in decline while Dort ate their lunch. Calvin Seminary and Calvin University aren't institutions of choice, um, necessarily institutions of choice, when the Gospel Coalition, Acts 29, and other new leaders via social media are where the attention and the aspiration comes from. In many ways, the establishment is the CRC leadership, and if they mess this up, there's going to be a train wreck. The best we can hope for out of this impasse is a splinter with some connectedness remaining. If the establishment doubles down on the tatters of institutional power they still have, we'll likely see a splinter with multiple fractures. The establishment, like the RCA, rules a rump, which has a core of aging establishment true believers and a lot of marginalized remainders that don't really have the vitality to leave. You see this in various um, mainline churches. You find all these tiny little mainline churches scattered around. They're hardly together with the hierarchy of their, let's say, Episcopalian denomination. They just don't have the money or the the energy to leave. And so what happens with declining denominations is you lose all your most vital churches. It's a lot of what happened with the RCA. They lost a ton of really vital, vibrant churches. And what remains are sort of the establishment true believers and sort of the remnant that never that Nebuchadnezzar never bothered carrying over into exile. I think if in Synod 2023 there is a successful attempt to derail the perception of holding Grand Rapids East and Neyland accountable for what is seen as Establishment Insiders covenant breaking, the unraveling will begin quickly and it will look like um, something that happened in the RCA. I have very little confidence that many in this establishment see the consequence of their success but I imagine many churches that are content to not follow First Rippon, it's a church in my classes that left recently, in departure, start to think about it seriously if this happens. To many in places, to many places in the West, um, to many in places west of Grand Rapids, blocking accountability of the establishment looks simply like corruption. Synod 2016 and 2022 were strong signs that a good amount of the body won't tolerate the establishment facilitating what many people see as simply breaking the denominational covenant. Statements on websites from Grand Rapids East and ordaining gay office bearers communicates to many in the hinterlands as, you play by the rules, we don't have to, we own the rule book. Again, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that that is the perception. I have had a lot of connection to the inside of the Christian Reformed Church, and I, I see a lot of this as people looking at two very different worlds. I think many in Grand Rapids have very little understanding of what life is like in the United States. Now, again, Canadian dynamics are different. I'm not going to comment on them. I don't know. But these are the dynamics in the United States. I know Grand Rapids East doesn't agree with this assessment, but for enough voting delegates at Synod, that perception is a reality. If the establishment breaks the institutions that give them power, they wind up with nothing. And that's where this is heading. A couple more pieces that I wrote. My main issue with the inclusivist approach is that I think it is fundamentally rebellious and disrespectful to the tradition. 
I don't think that there is any disagreement that the number one cause of formal discipline in our denomination is sexual misconduct. Clergy who are practically the only ones disciplined today and laity in the past were regularly censured, disciplined, excommunicated, and deposed for sexual misconduct by a wide margin over other causes. Let's take that as data. Len is right that for the most part, the confessional machinery has been let to rust for a good long time now. For the most part, only the most ardent confessionalists have police language around the canons of Dort. This is indicative of the mood of the church because for the most part, churches take action on what the collective body perceives as a threat. And I talk about the Belhar, how that, there was an attempt to make the Belhar confession a fourth confession. It failed, and I think because the establishment was continuing to lose connection with the growing part of the church, or at least the part of the church that was in less decline than the urban parts of the church that have been in greater decline. At the heart of this conflict is the question of whether sexual behavior is of a category that has been the most regular cause of discipline for a church for a very long time, or it, or is it same-sex behavior is of a category, or is it of not? It's quite literally what the Synod decision says. That's not what's actually in question in the Heidelberg Catechism. That's what's actually in question in the Heidelberg Catechism interpretation. A clear majority of the delegates at Synod have not changed their mind on this matter. I think it is representative of the mind of the, of the body overall. A minority of the body have changed their minds on this matter, or at least hold a minority position. That position aligns with where the elites and the culture have gone. Fair enough. What is behind my question and... Um, what is behind my question about good faith? The idea is that the body entire will change its practice on this matter without a positive public position. Over the last two decades, it became immediately apparent that those who hold the new opinion do not have the votes at Senate to change the formal position of the church on this matter. So they have consciously adopted the strategy of a judicial strategy. During the CRC... Um, and then I quote that piece that I read at the beginning. The majority of the body of, this, of, the, of Synod 2022 called their bluff. And now the posture of the minority is, how dare you discipline us? Well, wasn't this the strategy all along? They made a bet, voiced it at a public all-one-body meeting reported by Dan, and the bluff, uh, the bluff was called. It's time for the establishment to stop playing the victim. That game is up. It's clear to see why they don't want to quit playing it. That's the way that the same-sex marriage won in the U.S. government system. Remember, in 2008, it was defeated in California. I suspect the reason why the inclusivists can't win by the front door is my argument about marriage and ideals. The ideal of, of man, woman, for life, I made this rather long three-hour video a while ago last year. If you want to watch the whole thing, it's one of my more popular videos. Accommodation can be made but there is something powerful about the one particular marital configuration. It is essentially archetypal because no other configuration offers all that it does. It is the ideal, the default position we want and hope for for ourselves and our children. The supposed judicial strategy has failed in the CRC. Whether or not Neeland willingly enacted the strategy is now moot. Apparently, neither Sherman nor Eastern had a candidate for office holding available to be that test case. So here we are. The judicial strategy has brought us at least partially to this moment. 
then someone had made three points, which I sort of summarize here. He asked the question, if the human sexuality report alone had passed, would there be this reaction? Probably not. If Neil, if the confessional interpretation had passed without Neeland, without threatening Neeland or Grand Rapids East, would there be this level of furor? Probably not. This level of furor is because Synod has clearly signaled it will move to discipline congregations and classes that break from the denominational policy. I think the outcry is because the judicial strategy failed and there is no other path available for those who wish full inclusion in the denomination. Again, I take the inclusivist churches at their word that for them this is a deeply convictional posture. It is in fact a confessional statement they are making. They are justifying their position with biblical interpretations and they are telling and they are in a sense telling synod, here we stand, we can do no other. Okay, these churches, the whole classes perhaps, say that they cannot abide by the will of the majority of the CRC on this matter, and the majority is also unwilling to change their position. How can we best move forward? That, to me, is the real question. Now, I, I got some pushback on this um, in terms of, well, what about, what about, you know, isn't that contradictory to say that they're rebellious? Clearly, the inclusivists believe that the tradition, meaning the treating same-sex behavior as compatible with adulterous behavior, um, is wrong. Clearly, they disagree with synodical decision. As a body, all one body to be precise, they came to the conclusion that they are not going to convince the larger body of the Christian Reformed Church of their decision to revise this in the traditional manner that direct approach. That direct approach would have been something like Grand Rapids East did a few years ago in terms of writing the paper, which was mentioned in the introductory video, making a statement, etc. This is a very formed Protestant and confessional approach. In other words, they use the tradition of theological and ecclesiastical practice to challenge the tradition which held um, what we call the traditional Christian sexual ethic. The CRC tradition says that the larger tradition of theological and scriptural discernment trumps smaller positional traditions. The proper way to change the church's teaching is this front door. The front door was abandoned for pragmatic reasons. They knew they wouldn't win. I don't want to be too harsh on this because practice and policy seldom proceed in a straightforward matter. The women in church office debate was part of that. In the 1990s, there was a lot of talk about testing the spirits, which meant allow for experimentation. This led to the local option. What we can also learn is that once the practice was permitted, a lot of talk shifted from testing the spirits to justice. This is why the local option is not on the table because basically of how it went with women in, a, women in church office. So the front door is abandoned and the judicial path is taken. Fair enough. Synod 2022 closed the judicial path. The judicial path strategy banks on a host of motivations. It's finally, though, a breaking in the front door. It's a breaking of the front door Protestant tradition of using scripture and assemblies to proceed and revise the tradition. In that way, it's rebellious because it rebels against the main path. It's seditious in that it decides to defy the collective covenant of the body intentionally. This path was deliberately chosen by all one body. The rest of the church sees it as seditious and a violation of covenant. John Sook, someone I had on my channel, saw quite clearly he could not in good conscience continue to subscribe to the standards both implicit and explicit of the Christian Reformed Church and left. 
That's the traditional approach. He didn't stay in the denomination and dare a council, church, or classes, or synod to discipline him. Disciplining John Sook would have been one thing. A whole classis with institutional gravitas like Grand Rapids East is a far bigger deal. It's tempting for Grand Rapids East to say they don't dare move against us. Um, that That's rebellious and feels corrupt. I don't know that they've said that. Feels even Trumpish. If Grand Rapids East, is Grand Rapids East saying that? I don't know, but I think a lot of people outside suspect. Again, are they saying it? I don't know. Um, Grand Rapids East can appeal the decision in an overture, which I think they quite likely will. I really don't think there will be a different outcome, though. That is why Classic Grand Rapids East should count the cost in terms of their decisions. If they use their considerable influence and institutional power, some might call it an abuse of power, to try and make the moderates pause, then I'm afraid we'll see the fragmentation similar to what we've seen in the RCA. If they manage to avoid accountability for a few years, you might see a whole classist decide to go elsewhere, not just Minkota. You might be surprised how little it would take to reconfigure a denominational system centered on Iowa or California. The Alliance of Reformed Churches did it pretty pretty quickly spearheaded by two guys. For this reason, I don't think Grand Rapids East will finally win their appeal. I think Synod 2023 will begin the process of hardening the line and preparing to cut off the churches that wish to change the traditional sexual ethic. So there it is. My thoughts up until this point. Now I know some of you are upset because I am not boldly backing one side or the other. If you want to find my thoughts on this, you can go back to that three-hour video and the half-hour video that followed it and listen to my thoughts. They really haven't changed. But in terms of what's happening in our denomination, I think this is what's happening. I might be wrong, but again, I suspect Synod 2023 will reaffirm what Synod 2022 did, and they will move closer, if not accomplish, um, dismissing Neyland Avenue and or Classic Grand Rapids East. I suspect they'll make another move, offering another chance at reconciliation. And my guess would be that Synod 2024 will then, if they don't have the machinery in place, put the machinery in place to um, basically draw the line and say, this is the line. And at that point, Churches from Grand Rapids East and a few churches from other places in the denomination, perhaps including some Canadian churches, will then form a separate denomination. I think that's the most likely scenario at this point. If, in fact, Synod 2023 or 2024 box, I think then we'll see more people leave to the right. And after that, I have no idea what will happen. In the RCA, basically the establishment the Eastern Establishment won, and then it's just sort of more of the same. You tend to lose your most vital, vibrant churches, the ones with size, money, and options, and then those that really don't have the leadership well with all to make the move and aren't in agreement with the establishment just tend to slowly hang on. It makes the split, it makes the disintegration of the denomination not look so bad on paper, but it really doesn't help anything. So there are my thoughts. I just tell you what I think. If you want to participate in this conversation, CRC Voices is a good place to do it. Uh, if you do do it, expect for 
both sides to ask you to be good conversation partners in the conversation and not just go in and start flaming things. You go in and start flaming things. I'm one of the moderators and um, we just don't we just don't work that way. We have productive civil conversations that are frank and honest and um, we don't play games with that. So leave a comment, he said cautiously.